Lord, until you call us home, we will still be faithful. Faithful to the cross because of what you have done for us. We just say thank you. Thank you. With hearts, we say thank you. With our worship, we say thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. I'm glad that you're here. Are you glad that you're here? Would you turn around and greet someone? And I'm going to give you something to say. I want you to say, I'm glad you're here. Come in, Ethan. Hey, good morning. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. All right, I'm glad you stay here. <laughs> Who's first? Oh, I'm first. He's first. You're second. You're last. I'm last. <clears throat> All right, so Andre roped us into announcements today. So our first announcement is Stan Stoberl's men's Bible study on humility meets in the conference room on Wednesdays from 9 to 10.30 a.m., and you can sign up for that out at the welcome desk. And then men's breakfast is also starting up next Saturday on February the 10th. So you can join the men uh, in the fellowship hall uh, eating some wonderful food and fellowshipping. Okay, for Valentine's dinner, it's the last day to sign up today, so make sure you all do it. It's really fun. I'm helping in the kitchens providing food. Looks delicious. Um, so registration and money are due February the 11th, but make sure to sign up today for that. And then we have an all-church skate, very fun. Everyone should come, even if you don't skate. There's lots of games, there's free pizza. Um, who doesn't like pizza besides me? Um, <laughs> so that is going to be on February, um, the Sunday, but it's not during church, so make sure you come. And it's 5 to 7. On February 16th and 17th, the FBLA and Warriors for Christ Clubs will be hosting Feed My Starving Children packing event at Rice Lake High School. Feed My Starving Children is a Christian nonprofit dedicated to providing nutritious meals to children worldwide. It is estimated that over 6,000 children die each day from mal malnutrition. The process of hosting this event includes raising money to cover food and travel expenses, as well as getting volunteers to pack 100,000 meals. If you are interested in either donating or volunteering, Please grab a white slip on the table in the main lobby, or if you want to volunteer with the youth group on the 16th from 5 to 7, please talk to Leanne Schiltz. Thank you. And today we're having a movie. Much of you love movies? Yeah, today we're watching The Amazing Grace. Um, today at the Fellowship Hall. Um, again, Pastor Cody said if you're coming, we're having a meal at, uh, at noon, and he said bring something called veggies. He's got the meat. So, thank you. The food event that the high school's got going on, I've done that a few times. It's a wonderful occasion for us to serve the world, serve um, that, and also be a witness for Christ in that. And then, yeah, today, so again, we got the movie coming up this afternoon. So, 
your first service. So I encourage you, after first service, you go get your donuts and coffee and yummy stuff like that, and then maybe you're involved with Sunday school or whatever. Come back at noon. We're having Sloppy Joe's. We provided the meat. If you want to bring one vegetable, just one little carrot that's good enough, that's probably all you need for the month, and then the rest is meat, right? And, or bring some kind of snack. And then at 1, we'll start the movie. All right, things are different for me today than they were in high school in a variety of ways. And for me, things have changed a lot. Not only how I look right now compared to how I did in high school. Soon there will be a photo here of me, um, how I look nice. I'm pretty much the same. Um, how I dressed is different because now i got to dress up more than I do back then in a different way. I have to shave every day and, and all that. But one thing for me is when I was in high school, I was, I was crazy for Jesus. And I would roam my high school hallways, be involved in witnessing, sharing for Jesus. There's, yeah, there's a photo of me. My hair was a little longer back then. And, uh, oh, gee, you're showing more than I thought. All right, that's fine. But yeah, but I was, I was like crazy for the Lord, and I remember roaming around in my high school, there, there, yeah, with my Bible, and, and in fact, just recently I saw my daughter ripped up jeans, I'm like, why do they have ripped up jeans? I'm like, oh, I did too. <clears throat> Here's the one thing I struggled, and I, I just, I couldn't get. I would go around sharing Jesus in my public high school, and I was like, man, doing this alone, I wish... Jesus was walking with me. I was like, that would be awesome. If he was right next to me, and I had the hairdo of Jesus I saw in all the pictures, so I was more like Jesus than people with short hair. I was like, this is great. But I thought, if he was with me, walking with me, it would be awesome. We do amazing things. And I just struggled with it. I was like, man, why am I doing this alone? But then I realized, whoa, he's with me. Even though he's not bodily present, which I did. I, I thought, that'd be great. if he was walking with me, it'd be amazing things. But then I realized he is with me by his spirit. And then my junior year, things transformed kind of in my brain as I thought through it, as I read through John 14 and 16 and, and 15. I just realized, oh, he dwells with me. He is walking with me and now I have the Holy Spirit with me and I'm so glad that I have the Holy Spirit even this week I was confronted with a multiple variety of things where I'm like I'm so glad I'm not alone and I'm glad that I don't have Jesus here bodily with me I have the Spirit and it's good so before we begin into our, dig into our passage, let's pray. Father, we do come before you and we thank you for this day. Every time I step outside, I just go, wow, it's so nice out. And I thank you for how you've blessed us. We do pray for those who depend on the normal type of winters we have. I know economically it's going to be hard for some businesses hard for those who provide a lot of variety of stuff for recreation with snowmobiles and ice fishing and snow plowing and that's hard on many people. I pray that you would help them through this season. 
But Lord, we thank you for the beauty of what we have. And Lord, I pray for this morning. We're going to go deep into Scripture. We're going to be thinking hard. But at the same time, I pray that our hearts would be moved. Because ultimately, as we go through Scripture, as we look at this, that we would end up at your feet, wanting to praise you more. And this we pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, take your Bibles and go to the book of Acts chapter 1. If you recall, we're now going through this series. And I've titled it, The Witness Of, and then each Sunday it will be filled in with one of the themes that we see the book of Acts to be. It's the acts of not just the apostles, it's the acts of Christ, the acts of the Holy Spirit, the acts of prayer, the acts of mission. And Acts is part two, volume one, Luke wrote his gospel. And it was great. There in his gospel, Luke covered the life of Christ. And what his disciples saw and what they heard was totally great. They got to witness the beauty of what Christ was doing. And that's when the Word took on flesh and dwelt among them. Disciples were his students, his companions, and not just that, they were his friends. And primarily for three years, Luke covers much of what Jesus did. And these men spent three years walking with Jesus. They saw him. They saw him heal. They saw him do wonderful things. And they were at times confused. And they also heard the words of Christ on the mountainside preaching the goodness of God and the kingdom of heaven. And where he went, they went. What he did, they were to do. They saw with their own eyes, and they were the original witnesses of the earthly ministry of the Messiah. And we move from the Gospel of Luke as he's writing from great to awesome at the end. Then what they saw and what they heard during the cross event was truly amazing. The most important time in history, in the history of humanity, is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. They witnessed what no human beings before saw. All the prophets they wrote about, they, they thought about it, they, they, they anticipated, and it's what the saints of old anticipated and what angels long to think about. And their eyes saw things that angels longed to look into. And this was truly an amazing event. The resurrection. So we move from great to amazing. Then we move to bewilderment. One day these men heard from the lips of their friend and teacher. Possibly some pretty bad news. And for them, this is like this is the worst thing. First they thought they saw the worst thing, him dying, but then he rose again, and then they're piecing it together. But now, Jesus told them that he was leaving them. He's going to be gone. He told them that the days of their intimate companionship would be coming to a quick end. The ascension is about to happen. 
Will they be left alone? Will they be on their own roaming around going, okay, I need to be a witness? Because we just saw that in verse 8, they're to be witnesses, but how? Alone? Now what? So let's go to Acts chapter 1. We're going to cover verses 9 through 11 this morning. After he said this, he was taken up before them, before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said. Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So we move from great the Gospel of Luke, to amazing the end of Luke and even the beginning of Acts as Luke reinstates what happened at the end of his Gospel. We move from great to amazing to bewilderment, but we don't stop there. We move to ultimately see here the worship and the exaltation of Jesus for what he's done. In this whole first section, verses 1 through 11, cover this 40-day appearance of what Christ did and some of the things that he did involved in with the people that he was with after he rose again. The reality of his physical resurrection and the coming of the Spirit and the meaning of the arrival of the kingdom is found in verses 1 through 11. Very important. In fact, what I'm doing through chapter 1, as I've mapped through this out, chapter 1 is kind of an overview. We're going to do an overview of the Holy Spirit like we talked about. We're going to do an overview of missions that we talked about last week. We're going to do an overview of Christ today. So chapter 1 is kind of an overview, and then what I've done, I've mapped out every Sunday, we're going to go deeper into these topics. This period ended with a cloud and Jesus being caught up Ascending to the right hand of God, which then, that marks then ten days until the Spirit will come. The exaltation of Jesus is to launch the mission of the church. And as we look at this section of verses, we see a great teaching of Christ. And there's, what we're going to do here for a moment now is I'm going to talk about kind of why we're studying this. The study of Christ is also called Christology. We're going to, once in a while, I'm going to throw out some big words. You don't have to know the big words, but we're going to study the concepts of it. This fancy term, Christology, this is a fancy term that covers the person, the nature, and the work of Jesus Christ, which we'll talk about here in a moment just briefly. Before we get into talking about Christology, talking about the nature and the work of Christ, who Christ is and what he does, what I want to do is talk about theology. Now, as you recall, as we're going through the book of Acts, Acts is about this narrative, talking about the beginning of the church. It's a historical narrative, but also Luke covers much theology. So when I was going through this, I realized what we're going to do is, as I mentioned, we're going to cover a section of the book of Acts every Sunday. And then, it won't be the whole section, but we might just pull out just a few verses, but then we're going to cover theological topics. 
So you'll, you're going to know what the topic is each Sunday as the title will be. The Witness of, and today it's Christ. Why do we study theology? The core being of being a Protestant is our understanding of the Word of God. This is what we stand on. This is our foundation. And our understanding of the Bible is the foundation of how we are to live. How we understand the Word of God is how we are to live. It's the basis of my preaching. It's the basis of our counseling. It's the basis of your living out Christ every day. And at times, we will see things differently. As we study this, we'll talk here about theology, but at times, we're going to see things differently. For instance, as we go through the book of Acts, baptism shows up often. And there's a different varieties of baptism, it seems, in the book of Acts. And we will take some Sundays just to talk about baptism. And we're going to realize that within Christianity, people see baptism in a different way. In fact, if you'd get a Lutheran minister here and a Baptist minister and a Catholic priest, they would see baptism in a different way. So we're going to work through that together as a church. When we do a deep study of God's Word, we summarize the teachings of it within Scripture to describe what we believe. In fact, the last month and a half as we go through the book of Acts, we're going to go through the Apostles' Creed and look at that, a summary of what we believe. Christian doctrine not only articulates what we believe, but it also suggests how we should walk, how we should live, how the gospel is to worked out in the different settings that we live in, the different cultural settings that we face. And we must learn to navigate our way carefully following this first not following culture culture is going to change all around us but what i want to do through the book of acts is ground us deep in theology that's why i encourage you to get a notebook get a notebook as we study the book of acts write stuff down we need to carefully navigate our way following the way of jesus through the variety of cultural lanes and cultural shifts that happen all around us. This doesn't change, but even the last 30 years, hasn't America changed? So we need to ground ourselves in the Word of God. Let me quote to you William Wilberforce. These are the words of the inspired writers. And yet for all the Bibles in our households, how many have more than one Bible in your house? We have a lot of Bibles. We are ignorant of its contents. No wonder so many Christians know so little about what Christ actually taught. No wonder that is why they are so mistaken about the faith they are to profess. That's why I want to learn. As we go through the book of Acts each Sunday, we're going to deal with a theological topic. We're going to grow deep in it. We're going to dive into different aspects of it through the book of Acts, but not just the book of Acts, looking at the whole counsel of God. Because honestly, and I've seen it, some of you mishandle the Word of God. And I want to help you as we go through the book of Acts to see what the Lord's doing, the witness of the Holy Spirit, the witness of the mission of the church, but also want to help ground you in the Word. Good theology leads us to the practical task of living it out each day 
as faithful disciples and a witness of Jesus as we walk the way of truth. And again, culture changes. And when we're faced with that, we need to respond biblically. And that's why we've chosen today to go through this movie, Amazing Grace with William Wilberforce, to see how his culture, what was happening at his time, and how the Lord used him to help. Let's talk about Christ. Almost every major religion understands Jesus. They either write about him, talk about him, they try to explain who Jesus is. They either say that he was a prophet, a good teacher, a good man, a a godly man, but the problem is this. The Bible tells us he's much more than just a good man, right? He's much more than just a teacher. He's much more than a prophet. In fact, Jesus Christ is fully God. So what I want to do is I'm going to give you this chart here. I think I've got a chart of all the things, or maybe you got, yeah, so who is Christ? I know if you're going to write this down, great, I'll try to go slow so you can write all this down in your notes. And what we're going to do is cover this more. So Christology, thank you, Stacey, for putting it all out there. All right. These are the aspects as you study. For instance, if you'd go to school like Pastor Aaron right now, he's taking school seminary classes and he's studying different topics. The topic of sin, the topic of the church, the topic of the end times, the topic of the word of God. And when you study Christology, that fancy word, basically it's answering these many questions. There's many questions, many thoughts with this. And then in this, it describes. So these are the things that we will cover throughout the book of Acts. In fact, I've mapped out each one of these on different Sundays. We're not going to cover all of this today, but here's an overview. Who is Jesus Christ? Not who was, but who is, because he's alive today, amen? In this, we have many things that we talk about. The humanity of Christ, the importance of the humanity of Christ. He was born without sin and lived a life of obedience all the way to the cross without sin. Then we're going to talk about the deity of Christ. Is Christ God? Did Christ ever claim to be God? We'll talk about the virgin birth, the significance, the theological meaning of this, the incarnation. Again, these are big words, and, and you, you can study those and, and memorize these words. You don't have to know the big words, but we've got to understand the concepts. The hypostatic union. Pastor Aaron talked briefly about that on Christmas Eve, which was on Sunday this year, past year. The God-man, the two natures in one person. But then, it's not just talking about who Christ is and what he did, but it's also the functions of Christ. And a lot of people, this is some of the, the, the exciting things to talk about. The work of the cross, salvation, the effects, the results of what happened because of the cross and resurrection. The offices of Christ, prophet, priest, king. The death, the cause and the nature of the atonement. And again, for me, this, is my, this stuff here is my favorite stuff to talk about. I mean, when I ask different pastors, like, what's your favorite thing? You know, they'll say this, or, you know, maybe the book of Genesis, or the book of Revelation. For me, it's this stuff right here, Christology. The atonement, the resurrection, the ascension, the second coming, the results, the proofs, and the different theories of that. 
and the application of redemption, the order of salvation. We'll, we'll, we'll cover a lot of this as we go through the book of Acts. So again, I encourage you, get a notebook. Not only so you can cover the notes that we're going through in the book of Acts, but also this theological stuff is very important as we navigate through culture as it changes. And our study of the book of Acts will cover each of these topics. Today, what we're going to do is we're going to just briefly, again, chapter 1 is just an overview of all this, and then as we go through the rest of the chapters, we'll look more into this. Chapter 1 today, or this section, we're going to look at two important truths found in this passage with application. The first thing is the ascension and exaltation of Jesus. Back to our passage. Take a look at Acts chapter 1, 9 through 11. The stress, and I find this interesting, the stress here is on the apostles as official witnesses. For in all three verses, notice the fact is that they looked intently. They saw. They watched him ascend into heaven. As Jesus was speaking, a cloud envelops him and takes him away. And they saw this. They witnessed it. And the presence of the cloud is very significant. It reminds us, it reenacts the Shekinah glory, the cloud found in the book of Exodus in fact, the last chapter of the book of Exodus, you could say, builds up to God dwelling with his people in this cloud of glory. In fact, the three major incidents of the glory of Christ is manifested with cloud. Transfiguration, his ascension, and his second coming. And the appearance of the two men dressed in white reenacts the angels at the empty tomb in Luke 24. And now they're escorting Jesus back into heaven. But yet there's a bit of rebuke here. Notice they're looking intently. But the two men have a rebuke given to disciples. His followers are just standing there. What they heard and what they saw. They're stunned in two ways. What they just heard, I'm leaving you. What? You just rose again. Now walk with me. This is going to be amazing. I'm leaving you. And what they just saw, him ascending, they're on the Mount of Olives, where their mission is about to take place. And the world is going to hear about the beauty of Christ. God wants action, not paralysis. They're standing there going, what do we do? God wants action. Undoubtedly, they want Jesus to stay with them. But the next phase of redemptive history is now about to be initiated. And it's time for them to work out their ministry. Not standing there with their mouths open, gazing like, what just happened? They enter like, guess what? Now is the time. And they are to work, and their commissioning is about to take on feet and go. The ascension in this story is not merely just a symbolic way of providing an end, like, okay, Jesus is done, it's gone. It actually happened. And it was witnessed by them. And it wasn't just probably them, there were probably others around. 
the 120 gather around. We'll see this in chapter 15. There were others around at this time. And perhaps even more, many of the 500 found in 1 Corinthians 15, 6. Many were there to see like he totally ascended. So the ascension is critical because it's another reason why we have the worship and the exaltation of Christ. Let me give you four reasons here. Write these down. Jesus, this is actually this actually happened. Jesus ascended to a place. He ascended to a place. The two men, the angel said, who has been taken from you into heaven. Jesus just didn't disappear. The cloud didn't envelop him and then boo, he's gone. He just didn't disappear like a ghost-like manner or cease to exist or his soul became invisible and he floated and he's floating up in heaven right now as unfortunately some pictures have the depiction of Christ in heaven. Christ was actually taken in bodily form to heaven. From earth into heaven before the eyes of the apostles. So Jesus, number one, Jesus ascended to a place. Number two, Jesus received glory and honor. And this is spoken about in a variety of ways. In fact, we just went through the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 2, verse 9. Because of his ascension, he receives glory, honor, fame, worship. John 17, 5, Acts 2, 33, Revelation chapter 5, 12. Many verses talk about this aspect. Jesus, another reason, he receives glory and honor. Number three, Christ now is seated at God's right hand. His succession. Now he has authority, power. He has always ruled, but now he's at the place of that. In my notes here, which will be online for you, you can write these down. I've got Psalm 101, Acts 7, Ephesians 1, Hebrews 1, Hebrews 12, 1 Peter 3. There's many verses that talk about this aspect of this. He is now at the right hand of God. And this is a fulfillment of Psalm 110, verse 1. In fact, in Acts chapter 2, we'll see this again. We'll talk more about this aspect here when we get to Acts chapter 2. For David did not ascend to heaven. And yet, he says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until your enemies a footstool for your feet. Christ, his ascension is the fulfillment of prophecy. And with this, he has all authority. He has that divine power because he's Christ. So being taken up to heaven, he returned to his pre-existing glory that he had before he took on flesh. So Christ is seated at God's right hand. And four, it reveals the nature of Christ's return at the end of the age. Christ is coming again. Jesus was taken up from the earth into heaven and remains there on our behalf until someday, unknown to us, he will come again to judge the living and the dead. And we'll talk more about this as we go into passages later. Application. 
and the doctrinal significance for our lives. So I've given you four reasons why it's so important that we understand the beauty of Christ's ascension. But what does it mean to us? Number one, we should worship Jesus. And I encourage you to think through this. Once in a while, I'll get a knock on the door. And there'll be two guys with white shirts and a tie. Maybe you know what I'm talking about. They drive around, not often around here, but it's interesting when I lived, when I was in school in Illinois down there or the state of Washington, there were more of them up here. Maybe it's too cold, I don't know. But often they'll talk about Jesus. And in that conversation, sometimes I'll go, do you worship Jesus? Whoa, put the brakes on there. Well, no. We should worship Jesus. He is fully and truly God. In fact, many cults that are out there, this is where they stumble. And this is where I like to go, oh, really? Sometimes they'll be like, well, yeah, we'll worship Jesus. And then they've got a very, they don't, they don't understand the Trinity and they try to put it all into like one concept. And we'll talk more about this later, but they just, they try to fabricate something very unique and, and they go, well, well, yeah, we do. Or they say, well, no, we, we shouldn't worship Jesus, only worship God. But if Jesus is God, then, then they get confused and we work through this. Uh, we'll work again. We'll work through this in months to come. Jesus should be worshipped. And one reason, he ascended. William Wilberforce says this, it makes no sense to take the name of Christianity and not cling to Christ. Jesus is not some magical charm to wear like a piece of jewelry we think that will give us good luck. He is the Lord. It creates within us a profound experience of His peace and a heart that is filled with His praise. He is not some luck charm. I find this interesting. Once in a while, someone from the community or in the different areas I work in, they're like, hey, do you do weddings? I'm like, yes, I do. And as you know, I'd rather do a funeral than a wedding. That's just how I'm wired. Some pastors love doing weddings, and I just hate dressing up all the time. But I say, yeah, I do weddings. And then through the conversation, they'll be like, oh, would you, would you marry us? And, and I, I'll say, well, let's, let's talk. And sometimes they'll be like, oh, this is why we want to get married. You know, you have a beautiful church. And, and I'm like, this is not a wedding chapel. And then in the conversation, usually I try to get to some serious questions. I find out really what they want to do is basically sprinkle some religious pixie dust on their marriage and go, oh yeah, we did a Christian marriage and we're fine. No, 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 it's more than that. And usually at that point I go, I'm probably not the right guy to do this, but since you've opened the door, let's talk more about Christ. We should worship him. And I encourage you, get a notebook, write some of these, note down, these notes down because you're going to have co-workers, neighbors that, that struggle and understand who really is Jesus. Application number two. We will also ascend. These are just great, and we'll talk about that aspect here in a moment as, as our second point. This is the beauty of what Christ has done. What God has done, I should say. God the Father. 
God the Father in saving us. He didn't just like snap his fingers and go, okay, these are my children, you're saved. Da, 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 da. No. He went through the process of giving his only son who died for us, rose again. But there's much, much more to the big package of salvation. Someday, we also will ascend. John 14, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, a great chapter to read through and memorize. That's the encouragement. Life just doesn't end with your final breath. Number three, we will share in Christ's authority. With the Holy Spirit, about to come in 10 days, as we're in the book of Acts here, now we have His authority. No longer do I need to walk around in my high school with better hair than I had now and go, oh, I wish Jesus was next to me. Man, we could do amazing things. I'd be like, dude, look at, look at Jesus. Go do it, man. He dwells in me. His spirit, his power, his authority dwells within me. 1 Corinthians 6, Ephesians 2, Re- Revelation chapter 2, Revelation chapter 3. Many, many verses. We'll put those online. And lastly, the Holy Spirit is able, I put that because we're only here at Acts chapter 1, 9 through 11, the Holy Spirit is able, the Holy Spirit has come. For us, He has come. And I love John 16. Jesus warned them. And when He ascends, they shouldn't have been just standing there looking. (gasps) They should be like, yes, it's come. It's important that I go, he said in John 16. I must leave so that the Holy Spirit will come. John 16. And then coming up in Acts chapter 2, we'll take a lot of time talking about the Holy Spirit. The application is we should worship Him. What He's done. And the beauty of Christ in us. Concept number two, as we look through this passage, the return and vindication of Jesus. This same Jesus will come back again the same way you've seen him go to heaven. After a small rebuke, quit staring up into heaven. Close your mouths because you're like, what? Guess what? They give great words of encouragement. And these are some of the greatest words of encouragement that Jesus indeed will return. And in fact, He will do so in the same way just as He has been taken from them. He will return in a cloud of glory. And the angels will accompany Him. And the saints will be caught up in the clouds. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Jesus is reigning right now. And because He is truly the King, we can serve Him in confidence. And we will serve Him in confidence with even more, knowing that someday that final victory will come. And we will cover more of the return of Christ. I had a lot more notes, but I just, I just 
moved him to chapter 3. I moved him to chapter 15. As we look at the questions of like, when will Christ return? How will he come back? What are the signs that precede his return? These are many questions that we are going to say for chapter 3, chapter 15. But for now, two things. The glorious return of Christ will be in person, in bodily form. We will truly see Jesus when he comes back. If we're still living on the earth in his return, we will see him. And, if you could write this down, even if you're not taking notes, just write this down. Get your phone out. Take a picture of this. This is important. And we'll deal more with this as we deal with the topic of Christ's return. His return isn't for us just to put our hands in our pockets, sit in the pew and go, he's coming back someday. Oh, it's great. Oh, it's going to be great. No, no, no. This demands constant expectation. And as our blessed hope motivates the believer to godly living. He's coming back, so I need my heart right, my life right. Holiness is what we should pursue. Godly living. And out of that, sacrificial service. It's not just hands in my pocket, sitting in a pew, he's coming back someday, awesome. No, it motivates us to be a witness. Sacrificial service. And energetic mission if you missed last week i encourage you go online look at that we've got our missionary calendar we went through that talking about missions again acts chapter 1 verse 8 is just basically a an outline of the table of contents of what the rest of the book of acts is going to be like godly living sacrificial service and with that expectation and hope energetic mission so let me pause here's my prayer that you individually you as a family and us as a church would be a witness more than we've ever been before right because we want this to change us right and we're gonna go through the book of acts it's gonna change me and shape me this week again many times i'm like here's my moment what do you want me to do Application, a reminder that he is worthy to be praised. Here it is, very simply, they are not left alone. You are never alone. You might feel lonely. You might have gone through a divorce. You feel like, I'm alone. You might be a single parent. You might have lost your loved one to a sickness. You might be the only Christian in your family. You are not alone. Amen? You are never alone. And what makes the mission of the church to the world possible? The exaltation of Jesus to launch the mission of the church and the coming of the Spirit to empower the church. We'll see that in Acts chapter 2. Listen to John chapter 16. But now I'm going to him who sent me. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. None of you ask me, where are you going? Rather, you're filled with grief because I've said these things. But very truly I tell you, 
it is for your good that I'm leaving. I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. It is so great and glorious and wonderful that Jesus ascended. As much as I would want him walking with me every day, it's greater that he's not. He must leave them. From bewilderment and what sounds like an absolute drawback, now they're back on their own, Jesus promises that he will turn this into their advantage. He now sits at the right hand of the Father, exercising his lordship over all things. The whole world. And his intercession before the Father on our behalf of his people, he is worthy to be praised. Amen? Each week, somehow, throughout the sermon, I'm going to throw this prayer in, and here we go. So let's conclude with my part, and then we're going to hear about William Wilberforce and how the Lord used him. So join me as I pray this for you, for your family, and for our church. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you. And I thank you in your grand design, even though at times I've been bewildered by it, I've been confused, I've been worried, or I'm like the disciples, I'm filled with grief, like, oh, why aren't you with me? I thank you that you're with me. And Lord, I pray that you would make me a powerful witness to the beauty of who you are. Help me every day be a witness. Whether it's at work, whether it's at the grocery store, wherever it is, help me be a witness for you. Secondly, I ask, and I lay my family at your feet, help our family be a witness. Each of us in this room, we're part of a family. We're at different stages in the family. Some of us have little kids, and some of us have kids that are out of the house, we're at different stages, but God, use our family to be a witness to the beauty of you. And lastly, I ask that you would help our church be a witness to the beauty of Jesus in our community here, in our Jerusalem, then into Barron County and Wisconsin, and then to where all people are around this world. This I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so this afternoon, again, I encourage you, come to the movie. It's William Wilberforce. It's, it's not an easy movie. It's a tough one. In fact, the first time I saw it, I cried. It was hard. He deals with some evils in the world that need to be dealt with. Here's, let me close with this, and then Jason come up and share about William Wilberforce. Let him endeavor to learn both from men and books, particularly from the lives of eminent Christians. What methods have been actually found most effectually for the conquest of every particular vice and the improvement of every branch of holiness? So his encouragement is learn from people. And that's what we're going to do almost every Sunday. We're going to learn from different people. So Jake, come up and share about William Wilberforce. And after that, we'll close in worship with song.
So I have a few things prepared. I just wanted to say William Wilberforce led a pretty amazing life. And there's two things that I just want to highlight before I start what I've prepared. One is I cannot overstate his love of scripture, his love of prayer, the time that he spent alone with God. Um, it was an enormous part of his life. And I couldn't highlight all of that in this. And then secondly, thank you, Pastor Cody, for encouraging all of us to do that, to spend time in prayer and in scripture and teaching us the word. So William Wilberforce was born to an aristocratic family in 1759. His life seemed destined for the corridors of power and the grandeur of the aristocratic lifestyle. As Wilberforce grew, so did his curiosity about the world and the human condition. In the midst of social gathering and luxurious living, a quiet dissatisfaction gnawed at his heart. It was during these formative years that he encountered a group of fervent Christians who would forever alter the trajectory of his life. One day, Wilberforce found himself engaged in a conversation with a friend who spoke passionately about his newfound faith. Intrigued by the notion of a personal relationship with God and the transformative power of Christ, Wilberforce began to explore Christianity with a genuine hunger for spiritual meaning. This quest led him to the vibrant world of evangelical Christianity. Influenced by the teaching of John Newton, um, he actually, he actually uh, sat under the teaching of John Newton, who was a former slave trader turned clergyman, and the Wesleyan revival. William For Wilberforce's heart underwent a profound transformation. The message of grace, redemption, and the call to live a life aligned with God's principles resonated deeply with him. His conversion was not without its challenges, though. The social circles he frequented were not always receptive to his newfound faith. His mother, who did not like her son following the likes of John Newton, if you can imagine that, sent him away to a boarding school where his newfound faith became dormant. Wilberforce, as he grew, Wilberforce was elected to the English House of Parliament in 1780 at the age of 21. Wilberforce was not without his flaws. He once said of himself, the first years in Parliament I did nothing, nothing to any purpose. My own distinction was my darling project. During the winter of 1784 and 1785, Wilberforce underwent a long, drawn-out, but very deep conversion, or rededication to Christ, through conversations with Isaac Milner, his former schoolmaster. After this time, William began to deeply reflect on his life, which led to a period of intense sorrow. He wrote of this time, I am sure that no human creature could suffer more than I did for some months. His unnatural gloom lifted in the, on the Easter of 1786. Wilberforce carefully guarded his faith and spent countless hours in prayer and the study of scripture. It was after this that William abhorred the socializing that went along with politicking. They disqualify me for every useful purpose in life, he said. While on one hand he abhorred the politicking, he also saw that his walk in life was a public walk. Two parallel journeys unfolded within his life at this time. He became absorbed with the issue of slavery and the other for the reformation of manners or morals. He perceived a society that would work for the encouragement of piety and virtue and for the preventing of vice, profaneness, and immorality. Of personal piety, Wilberforce wrote, I must confess equally boldly that my own solid hopes 
for the well-being of my country depend not so much on her navies and armies, nor on the wisdom of her rulers, nor on the spirit of her people, as on the persuasion that she still contains many who love and obey the gospel of Christ. I believe that their prayers may yet prevail. Of the slave trade, Wilberforce said, so enormous, so dreadful, so irredeemable did the slave trade's wickedness appear that my own mind was completely made up, made up for abolition. Let the consequences be what they would. I would from this time, I from this time determined that I would never rest until I had effected its abolition. Guided by Christian principles, Wilberforce felt a divine calling to advocate for its abolition of the for the abolition of this abhorrent practice. His faith and sense of moral duty converged, propelling him into the heart of a tumultuous political battle. The echoes of his convictions reverberated through the halls of Parliament as he passionately argued for the rights and dignity of every human being. The Christian faith became the bedrock of Wilberforce's unwavering commitment to the abolition of slavery. It fueled his resilience in the face of adversity and sustained him through the arduous years of political maneuvering. To abolish the slave trade, Wilberforce introduced bills in 1791, in 1792, in 1793, in 1797, in 1799, that Wilberforce was also a prominent member of the Clapham sect, a group of devout Christians of influence in government and business. In 1797, Wilberforce wrote practical view of the prevailing religious system of professing Christians, which was a scathing critique of comfortable Christianity that became a bestseller. His political efforts culminated in the historic passage of the Slave Trade Act in 1807, making the trafficking of slaves illegal in the British Empire. However, Wilberforce's work was far from over. He continued his efforts for the complete emancipation of slaves, witnessing the culmination of his life's work with the passage of the Slavery Abolition Act in 1833, just three days before his death. All of this was accomplished amidst poor health that would plague him in his entire life. He would often be bedridden for weeks. Once during his 20s, Wilberforce said that he was unequal to such little business as I am now engaged in, add to which my eyes are so bad that I can scarce see how to direct my pen. William Wilberforce's story is a testament to the transformative power of faith and the profound impact of an individual committed to living out their beliefs. His journey from privilege to purpose serves as an enduring reminder that sometimes the greatest revolutions begin within the human heart. A heart which is then transformed and can no longer countenance standing idly by while our culture celebrates evil as good and good as evil. A heart full of grace and truth that confronts the culture. When examining his life, let us not forget these lessons. Never minimize the central place of God-centered, Christ-exalting doctrine. Labor to be unbreakably joyful in all that God is for us in Christ by trusting his great finished work and Never be idle in doing good. Matthew 5.16, that men may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven.
You stand as the worship team comes up and closes with our last two songs.